People always find time for what they really want to do. And that makes you a professional, being better every day. Welcome to the second episode of season two of the World of Work podcast of The Well. And I am joined by the very first guest who's kicking off the season. And that's Gareth Worthington, or rather Dr. Gareth Worthington, because as you will get to know Gareth, he is a very polyhedric individual who's kind of like saying, why settle for only one profession? If you have multiple talents and multiple things, that you want to be engaged in and pursue, then you should pursue them if that's what you want. And as he says, people will always find time to do what they want to do. So let's discover a little bit more about the amazing story of Gareth. Hey there, Gareth. Welcome. Welcome to the World of Work podcast. It's a pleasure to have you in season two. You're actually going to be kicking off this season, by the way. And... Uh, the, the, what I'd love to cover with you is one of the paradigm shifts that I'm particularly fond of, uh, which is really this possibility of pursuing multiple professions in a lifetime. Now, perhaps nowadays it's a little bit of a unique thing, but I do think in the future it will most probably be a normal thing to do to start, you know, kind of going about your career in different, in different, um, pursuing different paths. And, and your path is so extraordinary because not only it's multiple, but it's parallel too. Yeah. So it's not even like pivoting careers here. We're talking about multiple careers at the same time. Juggling careers, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so, so definitely fascinating to have you on board uh, with the sh- on the show. I just want to close this like this we can see each other better and before we start i'd like to um say a couple of words about you and then uh, we can kind of take it from from there so what i have here and you're going to help me with this train of thought so you are a trained marine biologist yeah you have a phd in comparative endocrinology yeah should i call you doctor actually technically yes but it's okay Okay, Dr. Gareth. <laughs> For this interview, we're going to do doctor. Dr. Gareth, so PhD in comparative endocrinology. You recently completed the EMBA. Yeah. Okay, at the at the Quantum Quantic School of Business and Technology. And then, of course, you've got multiple post-grad uh, certifications in pharmaceutical industry-related disciplines. Now, you're currently in medical affairs, yeah. right? Um, on new cancer therapies for the pharma industry. Mm-hmm. But you're also an award-winning author. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so delighted to have an award-winning author here on the show. <laughs> and you're also a member of the Science Fiction Writers of America, the British Science Fiction Association, and the International Thriller Writers. Okay. And on top of that, because I do know quite a few people who are part of these associations, but what makes you particularly different is that all of your books are in development for TV and film. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, of course, you are represented uh, by an agent, right, I guess, uh, Rene yeah. Fountain and Rene Natalia Fountain Gandolfo. Rene Fountain and Natalia Gandolfo out of uh, New York. Out of New York. You have two new books that are coming out very soon. Condition Black, written yeah. together with your co-author Stu Jones. Yeah, Stu, yeah. And, and A Time for Monsters, that's your second book. And 
And you've, you've, you, you know, last but not least here, I have written that you are the founding board member of the Zuvian Media Group Incorporated, which is a un unique books to film corporation. Yeah. And let me add on top of that, you've lived in the US, in Portugal, <laughs> in the Netherlands, Singapore, currently in Switzerland, where we met. Yeah. You have hand-tagged sharks. I don't know what that means, but I'll be happy to. Yeah, we'll get that. <laughs> <Spread> yeah. that. <laughs> and you're trained in various martial arts, including, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but here we go, Jeet Kune Jeet Kune Do. Yeah. Jeet Kune Do. Muay Thai. Muay Thai, yeah. <clears throat> Muay Thai. And help me with the other MMA. MMA, uh, mixed martial arts. <clears throat> okay, mixed martial martial arts. So, ladies and gentlemen, I know this is not a live show, but if it were a live show, I would say, <laughs> you know, I'm blown away by by all of this. So, hey, tell me your story. Tell me your story from your perspective, like from marine biologist. Yeah. PhD in endocrinology, a profession in in the medical affairs field in the pharma where we met. Yeah. And at the same time, all of these other yeah. interests and passions and talents. Yeah. Get. I mean, so, I mean, life life just kind of takes you on, on strange path that you don't necessarily expect. So I started wanting to be a animal behaviorist. I grew up watching David Attenborough uh, on mm -hmm. TV, you know, all the BBC wildlife shows. And I really wanted to be the guy with a camera out there filming animals and learning about their behavior. Um, and that's what I grew up watching. And so that's why I studied marine biology in the first place. Okay. Um, and then from there, I, uh, I skipped my master's and went straight to PhD. And actually my first PhD, I don't, I don't have to, the first PhD I started was in the um, breeding behavior of ghost knife fish. That was my original PhD. But my supervisor left me after three months and went back to Germany and mm -hmm. said, hey, you know, you can either come um, or, you know, you've got to find another PhD. And so I was in a bit of a quandary at that point. And there was a, uh, a professor at the University of Manchester who had a spot open on in his team. Okay. And his team were interesting and unique in that they used fish as a biological model to study um, endocrinology and other hormone systems in other animals and in humans um, and so that's kind of where the transition happened it went from a very kind of behavioral based PhD into a very lab based PhD and I worked on the role of parathyroid hormone related protein in calcium homeostasis in this particular fish model but PDHRP mm -hmm. is also a big um, component of certain cancers and so I had this strange PhD that kind of went between the two really and it had kind of wider implications beyond the fish biological model um, and so <clears throat> I finished my PhD uh, uh, after three years um, I was 24 25 um, and then you, once you've been in the lab for that long I just wanted to be anywhere but the lab um, really hate, really hated it and so I got a job working for um, the NHS. I was a consultant in the NHS and my job was to bring down waiting lists. So we were hiring South African doctors to come into the UK and, you know, do mobile cataract units, um, that kind of thing. Um, and then through some personal circumstances, someone close to me um, was, was passing away of cancer in the north. And so I, I went back north. 
and a friend of mine happened to be in medical writing and he said hey you know what i think this would be a good fit for you um mm -hmm. you're you're good at writing and you, you get the science and so i applied for a job at a medical writing agency um and got the job <clears throat> and so i spent five years in agency um doing med writing stuff and then i never know who it was but someone um put me forward for um to be the, the global lead for metabolics at um, Danon uh, mm -hmm. in medical affairs and, and jumped to the pharma industry. And so I, I did that, I jumped to that. I was, I was the lead medical affairs person for metabolics at Danon. And from there, it just kind of it rolled. And from there I went to Amgen and then worked in, in med affairs in Amgen and then on to Singapore with GSK. And you know, I've, basically along the way, I've um, <clears throat> worked in almost every department in medical affairs you can think of. Mm -hmm. as well as commercial and competitive intelligence. I was the, the head of a competitive intelligence agency in Europe um, for a bit. Um, so really spanned most of the of the pharma wow. <laughs> industry roles. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and actually, that's exactly where, where we also met. And I do find the pharma is such a, a high churn anyway, in terms of uh, the industry per se. I mean, one day yeah. you're in one company the next day you're into the next but there is a continuity nonetheless in the type of career right and the type of things that you've been uh, working on so have you always been focused on the, on the cancer um no, area therapies or, no. Oh. so i mean in agency i spent a lot of time in gi medicine Medi i mean mm. the down on it's metabolic disorders so it's um very rare diseases in, in children um you know like when a child's born they give the heel prick test they test a bit of blood Mm -hmm. They're testing for very specific things, metabolic disorders. So okay. um, if you've ever looked at a bottle of Coke and it's, it'll say on the bottle of Coke, um, contains a source of phenylalanine. Okay. Right? You have to look at it says that. The reason it says that is because certain children um, have a disease called PKU um, where they, they cannot process uh, phenylalanine. If they do, they become um, neurologically... Um, uh, deficient for life it's irreversible but if you remove that from their diet for life then they're perfectly neurotypical um oh. and so there are there are a hundred or so of these diseases um these metabolic disorders where they can't process certain amino acids or certain certain things and so danon was focused on um on creating foods and drinks for these children and it sounds really basic mm -hmm. but uh it's uh it was a, my favorite job i ever did um and uh yeah so I worked in there. I worked in cardiovascular medicine for Pfizer. I did GI for Shire before I was at Shire the first time. I used to work with Shire. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was a consultant for Shire. Um, so, oh, it is a small world, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I've run the gambit in in terms of like uh, therapy areas as well. And and as as you were, I don't know. Have you ever thought like when you look into your career on that perspective? Have you ever? thought of it in a, in a planning mode or did things kind of just as well happen to you I mean when you know a little bit it sounds by serendipity you you were able to initially combine the medical with the writing and then from yeah. there you know you 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 grew into these different fields and within the pharma within different functions too yeah I'm just curious if in terms of your thinking process towards it was it in any way uh you know let's go for it and let's see where it where it lands or did you do you think like in the back of your head say mm, you know this this actually makes sense for my for so my i tend step. to I, I create opportunity i think it's the way i work i think about it so um mm -hmm. my thing my my phd professor 
um, he used to always call me a bucket scientist. So um, okay, what does that uh, mean? A bucket that scientist. That means that we were very lab focused. So I mean, my PhD, a big chunk of it was developing a radium immunoassay, which is very lab based and you know set of a bench. Um, but when I wrote my thesis, I was my my whole thesis was who cares? Like I know this tiny thing. What does it mean to the whole organism? What does it mean to this? And that tends to be how I've always thought. So when I go into a role in an organization, I'm like, great, this is my role. This is what I'm doing. But what mm -hmm. does it mean to my department? What does it mean to this function? What does it mean to this company? And I always find myself sticking my nose in other people's business and trying to connect dots. Um, mm -hmm. And that ends up being the role that I make for myself. So the reason I've got so much diverse experience is because I, I make it so. that I want to mm -hmm. understand the bigger picture, the strategy behind something. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of how I work. And and that's super important because um, actually what you're saying, because quite a few people, um, you know, when they reach out to me, they say, I, I, I feel like I don't fit into a box or I feel like, you know, if they're applying for a job or, you know, there's a, the classical job description and, yeah. and you know us in HR, <laughs> the beloved HR colleagues. But anyway, so so we're, we're very good in uh, job descriptions and kind yeah. of saying, you know, these are the qualifications, what's needed, etc. And And quite a few people are kind of like, uh, they don't necessarily fit into one given job description. What you're talking about is very much in line with that, which is not only kind of sticking to what that job actually is, what your role accountability is, but also looking across and saying, okay, well, how's that connected to other parts of the of the organization? Um, but to step into an organization, what would you recommend, let's say, for those who are applying today? And it's, it's a bit of a complicated market out there. I guess, I mean, you know, the, the, the job description is kind of like the, the baseline. You shouldn't be applying for it if you can't do that, right? And mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of how it is for every candidate that you're up against, is that's the baseline. It's the kind of, we're expecting you to be able to do that. My, all of my questions to someone I interview are almost nothing to do with the job spec, because as if you, if you can't do that, you shouldn't be here. I'll ask a few just to double check that they can do what they say they can do. And then beyond that, it's, much more about this the strategy and the company and the department and the co-workers and how they're going to fit what else they bring to the table you know uh, for me and so that's you know people can say i don't i don't fit in a box and that's fine just but understand you have a job to do, to do you have to right. do that job you know that's your baseline you know and um uh, that's that's what you have to do so do that well and then that will earn you the respect to be able to do things outside of it if you can't do your baseline well then you're never going to get the respect to stick your nose in other people's business very true that's that's a little bit the ticket to ride you know that's a bit the yeah. the entry ticket right and, exactly uh, and and it's true you do have to prove yourself at least in the first 100 days and yeah in those 100 days some folks tend to underestimate that a lot in terms of like the first 100 days in the company or yeah or in a new job within the same company by the way too yeah right it's it, yeah. It, not it's, it's not because you've already been in that organization for a long time that automatically when you're shifting from one job to the next that automatically you'll be able to do that just as well as your previous role yeah so um okay and tell me how does the how does the writing fit into all of this T tell me about this other side <laughs> so um i've been writing since i was a kid um mm. and pharma as you know can be very restrictive particularly in medical affairs uh it's very 
<clears throat> has very rule driven about what you are and not allowed to do. So your creativity side is, is somewhat stymied, um, for necessarily stymied um, for what we do. And so, you know, I used to write on the, on the side for myself um, and I, I wrote a book, um, a series of short books, I guess in, oh geez, when was that? From 2009-ish I started writing mm -hmm. again after all my education, I got back into writing. Um, I self-published and then I, someone said, hey, you know what, you should try and get an agent. You know, this is, this is good. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. I mean, it, it's quite hard to get an agent. Um, but I targeted a couple of I thought would work well. And I think it was my second or third query letter. Um, uh, a lady, Renee, Renee Fountain, um, picked, uh, picked up the phone and was like, hey, you know, let's have a conversation. And she, um, and she tried, she took me on board, I signed with her and, you know, we tried to sell my books, um, the mm -hmm. ones I'd already written, I, I kind of expanded <clears throat> and tried to sell those. And honestly, that didn't go well. The, the, the publishing industry is very difficult. It's very hard to break a new author. Um, Absolutely. And she was very honest with me and she said, look, we tried for a while and I don't know that we're going to be able to do this. Um, and I'm like, okay, well then, then we tried. And I think, um, and this is, I love this about life. This is kind of how I, I live my life. I sent a tweet out about it. Just like, hey, you know, um, it's a shame this makes such a cool movie, something along those lines. Um, and then a woman called Italia, um, who knows Renee, because it's her agency, but I've never actually had anything to do with her, replied and kind of said, you know, what have you got? Um, and so I replied back to her and they had a little to and fro. And she spoke to a producer friend of hers and he works with like Hollywood and publishing agencies. And okay. she said, let's get you connected. And the next thing I know, she's like, you know what? I've, um, I'm setting up a, a, a company, a publishing company that specifically publishes books to sell to Hollywood. You know, would you be interested? I like your story. I think it would work. And I said, mm -hmm. sure. Um, so we did that and we published my first book in 2017, Children of the Fifth Son, the first book. Um, and from there, it just, I got, so I got more and more involved with her. It was kind of early days. Um, and, you know, I kept offering help, again, sticking my nose in. So I just kept saying, hey, you know what, you want help with that? You're kind of setting things up. You want, you want some help with that? I can help with that. And she kept laughing and saying, you know, be careful what you wish for. And in, <laughs> and in the end, I got, yeah. I got fully involved and she said, you know, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a role. And she made me director of business development. Um, and I'm essentially... Um, so I bought into the company, I bought shares, um, you know, helped fund, fund it to get it started up. Um, and I'm, I'm essentially, they laugh that she jokes, that I'm kind of like the face that she flies around the world. So whenever someone needs to be face to face, she sends me. So I go to New York, you know, book festival, I go to the book expo, I go to see some of the Publisher Weekly guys, you know, um, who are the big trade magazine. I go mm -hmm. to meet them face to face. Um, and that's kind of my my job i vet the the manuscripts i help with the marketing and and you write at the same time so it's like how, how do you do all this how many of you are there <laughs> out there i mean dr gareth tell me i think in those labs you've probably been cloning yourself or something like that you, <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> what's your secret really honestly people it's always about sacrifice it's about what you want to do yeah yeah you know so yeah. everybody has exactly the same amount of time in the day um, so it's about how you use it, what you choose to do with it. And I'm a very restless person. If two hours have gone by and I'm not doing something that I feel is worthwhile, then I'm kind of like, what am I doing? You know, um, mm. I'm not a sleeper particularly. Um, 
So what I, does that mean? How many hours? I don't, I don't sleep. I don't, I, so I, I function on sort of fewer hours of sleep. I go to bed late, you know. Um, I had Wait, a... Five hours, four hours? Four or five, generally. Oh I'd okay. gonna, you know, and I don't sleep heavily either. It depends on, I've got small kids, it depends on the day. But, <clears throat> you know, the other day I got a, a something through an email through at one o'clock in the morning, which was a proof for my newest book. So I get up, I go to the computer and I sort it and out and I order the new one, you know. Because um, I would rather, I'm so, I'm very conscious that one day I'm going to die. I get 80 yeah. years if I'm lucky and that's yeah. it. You know, that's all the time yeah. I get. So I can waste it or I can try and cram it with as much things and look back and say, that was a good life. I did something. Yeah. Um, you know. It's very interesting you talk about this concept of time. Because I think that's exactly what started kicking in for me too, and and the sense of there's an end. Yeah. There's an end to this, and it's like so how I'm spending my time, is becoming one of the key decision makers for me in terms of what I choose to do or not. Yeah. But what I've and that's what I admire about you is how nonetheless you've been able to pursue these 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 things in parallel, like. I decided to to move on to something else. Yeah. Like this I can fully focus on on other things, on diversity and 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 you know, we were talking about a little bit the pharma, it's great. At the same time, it's not only the pharma, a lot of businesses, unless you're in the creative business space, which is a different one. Yeah. The the you know, it's there's only so much that you can actually create and do and 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 put out there in the world in terms of sharing your knowledge, your your story, your yeah. music or your your books. So that's what I find really, you know, this this concept of I, I'm still amazed. Uh, um, it's about on how you pack that all in and 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 what is left out, I guess, because that's also to your point. You know, the sacrifices must be pretty. Yeah. So I mean, <clears throat> um, I guess a couple of things. I'm not massively social, so I don't go to bars. I don't go to restaurants. I have my kind of group of friends, and I'll see um, them. And not now because of COVID, but generally we'd see each other every couple of months for, for a dinner. And that's kind of enough. And then otherwise, you know, I, I fill my time with my family and, and, um, and my things I like to do. Um, but I just, I can't sit still. So it, a downside to it, and there is a downside to it, is that I'm, I'm never, I never stand still. I almost don't take any time to enjoy what I'm doing because I'm always on to the next thing. I'm always like, okay, that's done, great. Let's keep going, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there is that aspect to it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, uh, but I, for me, it's the journey, not the destination. I like doing it, you know. I mean, I, when I finished my PhD, I didn't even go to a ceremony. I'm like, great, done, let's keep going. You know, that was a stepping stone to where I'm going. Wow. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, taking things kind of head on and... Um, and and uh, like, how do you plan it, if at all? Like your day, does that mean you need to have a very uh, planned agenda calendar to be able to fit all this in? I mean, some folks to be able to juggle multiple things, family, work, and 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 women, by the way, are pretty good at that because they often they they need to juggle lots of things at the same time, and they're very organized in doing that. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if if that's also your strategy on on, on coping. Yeah. With it's all, all the to-dos, you know. To an extent, yeah. So mm -hmm. I have obviously my work calendar. So my primary job is my primary job, and that has to take precedence um, uh, over everything else. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, then I'll have, and then I've got a block of time. So what do I do with it? So right now you can see, like, I have my weights bench in the back. 
So if I have half an hour between calls and I have the time, let's do let's do some workout, let's do some weights, then go back on my call, you know, and then you know, and then I'll go to play with my kids and have dinner, and then I'll come back. Okay, let's do some let's do some writing. If I'm not feeling particularly creative in terms of writing, because you can't always just sit down and say, now I'm going to write. Um, Absolutely. Then I'll switch it and I'll do my book covers and I'll do something different creative, which doesn't require the same mental space. Um, mm-hmm. But I still mm-hmm. feel the time, you know? Okay. So it's really, you you pack up your day like like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> the MBA I did, and I love the, the, this company, so it's they're called Quantic. And the entire MBA is done with your cell phone. Um, they're wow. using they're using disruptive technology, and you do six minute um, chunks, and you can do as many as you like. But you can do it at the bus stop. You can do it when you're waiting for something, you can, and that just fits my ethos so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still have to pass all the exams. I still have to do my coursework, etc. But the actual learning portion of it was done on the fly when I had time. So you know, it was it was great. I could just do it in between things. Right, just, right. But you have it's to be able to switch space. very quickly. Yes. Yes, yes. And for those who who may not have this natural talent of like switching very quickly, is there yeah. is there a, a recommendation you would give or advice then, you would give? Because then, I do sense the world is going anywhere in that direction. This yeah. this ability to uh, switch quickly it's it's beyond multitasking. I think now what we're talking about because it's a you were talking about mental states. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in that. I mean, there's a moment of a creative mental state. There's a moment of an execution one. There's a moment. And really, they're very different states yeah. of being, literally. Yeah, they are. So being able to switch these states, I think, is really the the interesting challenge for the future. Yeah, I think you for some people, they plan. So, for instance, my, my co-author, Stu, that you mentioned, Stu is a um, SWAT sniper out of Alabama. Um you know, that's his day job. He's out there catching bad guys and he's doing crazy stuff. I mean, that guy's a, the all-American hero. Um, but what he does, he gets up at six or, or five and he'll go, right, I've got 30 minutes to knock out some writing and I will do, do that every single day. And if you do that every single day, eventually you've got a book. You know, even if you write a hundred words, True. you do that every day, you've got a book. You know, and that's how he works. Um, and he just carves out that time. He makes sure he has, the, you know, he does that. So that works for him. Right. Each, so each one's basically got their, th- yeah. there is not a one, you a have one to, strategy. You have to want it. I think that's the thing for me. You have to want yeah. it. You yeah. know, everyone says, I want to write a book or I've thought about doing this or I've thought about doing that. And it's kind of like, well, tomorrow never comes. So do it. You know, it's if you really you want to, yeah. you will. people always find time for what they really want to do. True. That's what I, what I say, really. It's, um, and that maybe what you want to do is spend time with friends. Maybe what you want to do is relax and de-stress and watch TV for an hour. And that's totally fine. You know, um, it's what, whatever makes you happy. But you will find that time to do what you want to do. So I really want to write books. I really want to run my, you know, the company with Italia. I want to do whatever else. Well, here we are. This is the end of part one of this very special episode with Gareth Worthington. Do stay tuned for the upcoming part two on the World of Work podcast on the well. We continue the conversation along this train of thought. Till next time, as always, stay safe and do take your care.